So maybe we should, in honor of the Unshakable Man, we'll start off with some breathing exercises because that's their central focal point of, of their exercises that they teach. But I already did yoga and stuff this morning. You didn't like my yoga uh, mantra or my meditation I was giving you last night, and that was the whole point of it, guided meditation. I don't need you to guide me. Your voice kept coming in when I was breathing through it and like meditating. I'm like, oh. All right, so we've got, um, let's go ahead and kick this off. So we've got a pretty cool show lined up today. And I met these gentlemen. I think Amala is the one who put me in touch with them first and foremost. She had sent me their website. So thank you, Amala. Um, Mike Sagan and Chris Wilson, they run an organization called The Unshakable Man. And we'll get into that in a second. So it's a pretty interesting topic that will be, well, I never know if we're going to stick to that topic, but they run a men's empowerment workshop, podcast, blogs, and virtual education around the idea, which is not something you hear very often, the idea of helping men become more vulnerable and more empowered by doing so. And they are, it's a men's organization that's focused on well-being in general for men. And it's really not something I've ever really seen front and center before. You don't really hear much about men being taught to be vulnerable, courageous through their vulnerability and some of the sidebars that are affecting men today. Right, you don't hear and about how, that. And how any of this education can trickle down into improving their lives is is really interesting. We'll be talking about that as well. So we're going to bring them on uh, and hear their story. We had a few technical issues this morning, so thank you and apologies to anyone who's not able to join. But we'll hear. We'll be sending out the uh, recording to you. So they talked about. So one of the things you and I were talking about last night before we jumped into this discussion and uh, around Chris and Mike and the Unshakable Man is the role of men and women in terms of development. And I said something, and at first I thought you were mocking me, and I said something to the effect of um, men, men to become men kind of have to go through a series of passages, right? Or at least that's the societal expectations. And I, I don't know how far back that goes. I do know that in indigenous cultures today, that role still plays. I was watching a show on National Geographic months back about an indigenous tribe of men to become men around the age of 13 or 14. They are put in this tent, basically this bodysuit, and they're filled with bullet ants. And the bullet ants bite them all night long. And bullet ants are like the size of, like they're that big, for real. Like they're like four or five inches long. And this is in South America somewhere. And they're put in these leg castings and arm castings and then filled with these ants. And if they can make it through the night, I believe it's 24 hours, they have to stay. Then they become officially men. And so while we don't over here in America, I'm just going to use Western world. In the Western world, we don't have to wear bullet ant casts. We still have a set of expectations around it that are completely different than what a woman has. Well, absolutely. And, and it's, it's the way that we've come to expect our roles to be. Like we talked about what was your, how did you grow up and what was your role? Like I may mock you because I mock you all the time, but you were an athlete through school and through college and all of that. And, you know, your role as a football player, you're basically the God or the, you know, you're out there, you're, you're, 
winning for a team, you're succeeding, you're showing all your power and your prowess and all of that. And the cheerleaders are at the side cheering you on as you accomplish all these fantastic feats. So it, it's based on you performing and performing in the most masculine way possible to prove that you are a man. And we stand at the sides and we cheer you for doing that. That I guess that's true. So they were cheering loudly. But... <laughs> You're used to hearing your name chanted. Okay, so I, I agree with all of that. That is actually 100% factually true, especially if from my generation. I think that role has changed a little bit with sports being more centrifugal for women because now sports also play a front and center role. And, and, mm -hmm. and that is true. I still wouldn't mind seeing you in a cheerleading outfit one of these days. However, I'm going to pivot back to the conversation. That in of itself, my comment in of itself is kind of a a storyline in how men are thought to be and women are perceived to behave. Mm -hmm. And and that and we're, of course generalizing, but that's how we're 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 shown it in in media as well. Whether it's movies, the men are always those action heroes and rescuing women. But that role is changing. And I used your daughter as an example. Forgive me for picking on her and uh, calling her out. But just recently, she separated from a longtime relationship with someone who, in her words, wasn't really pulling his weight and didn't have any plans on the forecast. And she is driven and she is motivated and she is talented and she's going out and doing things that formerly might not have been acceptable from your generation and my generation mm -hmm. for a woman to do. We were, especially here in the South, and uh, this is another generalization, but even here in the South, geographically, is markedly different from where I grew up in California, the role of women. So I think one of the things I'm curious to have a conversation about is women are rising, men are falling. And is that sort of the impetus for what Mike and Chris are touching on the fact that women are becoming empowered and men because of their inability to be vulnerable and their inability to be self-aware on a lot of areas are not able to handle that power shift and are now crumbling. I like that point. We're going to have to talk about that as well. We were kind of discussing and, and this, this today we're talking about men. We know women are fantastic. Men are fantastic. We're, we're, focusing on men today but i we had that mindset too that as women we grow up and and are conditioned even though like i'm an entrepreneur i'm confident in my business and i you know we're all taught now you know girl boss and just you know boss babe all of that doing all these things and being independent but in the back of our minds we also still grew up being told that you do x y and z and you you get married, basically the prince is going to come on his horse and, and carry you off and take care of you, you know? And as, as, as independent as we have become as women, in the back of our minds still, we sometimes think, oh, it'd be really nice to be taken care of. And I think that's the role that, that as men, you've been given this responsibility still that you have to do all of these things and take care of, of your woman, take care of your family and, and do all these things. Well, that's a really good point. And I, I like where you're going with that. It's kind of from a man's perspective. 
I feel that personal obligation to protect you, to protect my children, to care for you. Because I'm in a romantic relationship, I'm, I feel obligated to provide for you. And even though I know that you're empowered and I know that you're capable and that you're talented and that you don't technically need me, I like to think in my mind that you do need me and that I am there to protect you and I am that knight. I just need that bank account number. I know, but I agree. <laughs> but, <laughs> and your social security. Well, let me go before I give you that, and I will. So that can be confusing, I think, for some men, knowing that they're not actually needed when they realize that, and, but yet they still want to feel so validated. So how, how, do, how does my role, and how are those roles changing, but how do I as a man, I think that's what, what Chris and Mike are going to kind of dive into. I hope they do. How does my role as a man who has always been told that I was to provide for you, to care for you, to start fires for you, to hunt for you, to do all those things and that you were useless and couldn't do it without my help. And I suddenly find out that you don't actually fucking need me. What do I do about that? And you also said that V word, that validation word. And we talked a little bit about that as well, that and, and not, again, we're doing a lot of, we're categorizing a lot of things and it's, it's, it doesn't blanket everything, but validation, like when we go back to football, you were very validated through football that you were, you know, people were cheering you on and men, men get more, and again, I'm generalizing more accolades for things. They're, they're expected to, to do certain things and they get accolades. And I think women generally have, and it's part of their downfall, don't always stand up and say all the things that they do. They don't get as much validation as men. So when you're not getting validated and stuff, I think that is, is really hard as well. Not that you need it, but you know, you're doing all these superhero things and what happens when women are, are the roles are changing and all of a sudden you're at home during this quarantine and, and everything else is being thrown at you. So you just opened up the rabbit hole. <laughs> That's what we do. <laughs> So we have Mike and Chris on the podcast today. Thank you, fellas, for joining me. One of you is in Mexico. One of you is in California. That's right. I'm in San Francisco. Oh, you're in San Francisco. I'm in San Miguel de Allende, Mexico. Thanks so much for having us, you two. I was telling Lisa about your transport down to Mexico and the place you're living and all the stuff that you're doing down there, and we may be joining you shortly. Come along. All the Americans are leaving. (laughs) I've been making a joke that the Americans are building a wall to... Uh, to keep the Americans in America and not have them leave America. <laughs> I, I think that was always the intention all along. It was never about Mexicans getting in. The whole idea was to cut us off from everyone else. It's, it's the brain drain, you know? Like, I moved down from Canada. I'm slowly going to migrate and keep going south. <laughs> Keep coming south. <laughs> so you can find Chris and Mike on The Unshakable Man. And I've never heard the .me before. That's a, it's a, the, instead of .com, it's .m, like Mary. Yeah, me. So it's uh, www.unshakableman.me. And then you can find them on Instagram at the unshakable man on Instagram. So thanks fellas for joining us. I don't know if you were able to hear the dialogue that, that Lisa and I were having at the beginning. Um, I'm interested to hear a little bit how you guys got into this space. What would the impetus was for behind it? We've scoured you and stalked you for the last week or so on your website and read most of your blogs and listened to a lot of the podcasts. So um, there's a lot of fantastic information and I think for me, the reason I was really compelled and I asked Amala to reach out was 
you talk about this whole ideation of men being unable to be vulnerable, but it's that very vulnerability that leads us to our courage and being able to overcome our fear. And, and it struck me as in my development, I'm now 40 something years old going on 39. And it struck me really sensitive to the core when I was reading some of your articles, because I'm, I'm one of 12 kids, one of the youngest, the, the youngest of three boys and my two older brothers were, considerably older than me. So I used to get picked on and thrown in boxes and pushed down staircases and all sorts of stuff. And my father would never come to my aid because he would say, Oh, if you're, you're crying, you're a pussy, you know, like tough it out. And I was like, dude, I was just thrown down 26 stairs in a box with duct tape on it. Like I'm kind of probably have a right to cry for that one. And it was always my mom who came to my aid, but my entire life I was taught to be a man. And as you heard Lisa touch on, I played sports. I was actually a football player and played in college. And from day one, like, honestly, my, this is a true story. You guys are going to not believe this, but my, my brothers were actually taken down to parks where there were homeless people sleeping in the parks. And my dad would pay the homeless people $5 to kick my two brothers asses in a fight to toughen them up. This is a true wow. story that actually occurred. I never had to wrestle a homeless person. I had to wrestle him, but uh, anyway. So there is. So I read a bunch of your blog posts on that whole piece of vulnerability and courage. And, and so I'm assuming that your business and, and what you do as, as educators and coaches for men is that you hopefully untrain all of that ingrained nonsense that we grew up with. Is that a fair statement to say? Yeah, I think we're in the business of emotional fitness, right? We take guys to the emotional gym and we do emotional reps with each other. I think more of it is about relearning how to be in touch and how to feel rather than unlearning the conditioning that we've been through. I think it's more about becoming aware of the conditioning that we as men and young men have gone through in, in our culture and society and our families and then relearning how to drop back into our bodies and literally feel sensations that are coming up. And, and just starting at the baseline of just sensing what comes up in our body and not even trying to articulate the emotions that come up because so many of us don't, aren't even emotionally literate. Like we, we maybe know like anger right. and sadness and, and frustration and that's it, right? But like even if we don't have the emotional vocabulary to articulate what it is that we're feeling, the bottom line is, how can we get more guys to just feel their bodies, sense these sensations that come up? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I loved listening to you guys talk while we had, what a great opportunity that was for us to sit on the, on the sidelines and hear the two of you share your perspectives on this culture of manhood and culture of womanhood that we all exist in, no matter which one we define with. As you were each, as, as Mike was saying, I, I just, I noticed myself just perk up as he said, like to just, it was like realizing, right? Like not, we're not unlearning something. We're realizing that we exist in this culture of manhood or this culture of womanhood. And that I, I have a, my, my identity in that as a role is one thing, but then my relationship with that role is an, is another thing. And I get to choose that relationship that I have with that role. And, and then you were, I heard you guys say earlier that uh, like men are perception that we are moving out of the way for women. 
and women are rising, which I, which I agree, I would agree with from my own personal experience, but really like there's a give get and, and that cultural friction in so many nuanced, nuanced ways. And, and it, and for that, I heard from just that discussion. Right. And so, so much of this work is just about realizing and slowing down uh, connecting to your own experience. And I love how Mike, we call it um, getting your emotional reps because no one can tell you what you are feeling, right? No one, there's no test, there's no science study, there's no biomarker, there's no research scientist. We physically do not have a scientific way to study and to measure an emotion in or on the body, in the brain or in the mind. And so with that being said, we need uh, to mirror, we need to be in relationship with another person who is doing their own work in order to get little mile markers of, oh, when they said that, when they were looking that way, experiencing that way, they identified as feeling such and such. I felt blank, right? And it's not an offering to switch how I feel, but to, to, to calibrate internally, uh, what am I feeling, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the work. I like that you say the word calibrate because Same here. what's that least? Same here. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a really good word because how do you change in my case? Let's just pretend that I still felt the way that I felt and I don't, but five years ago, roughly now six years, um, I had a completely different mm. perspective of who I was versus who I am today. And, and my impetus for an awakening, if you will, was my divorce. And at first I blamed mm -hmm. everyone else. I was perfect, faultless. There's no way that I could have done this because I was this person and that person. But then I started to realize that I was just as much a fault for the failure and the demise of my relationship mm -hmm. than anyone else was actually more responsible because looking back, I was a shitty husband. I did not do all the things that I could have done. I didn't, I was not in love with this woman, but I still had this role that it was, that I was the man and it was her fault and all this sort of stuff. And now mm -hmm. it's taken me six years to be where I am today. How do you change that mindset of somebody 39 years? Set. 39, yeah, 39 years going that you believed all the things that you believed and suddenly overnight you can change it. So how, does your, how do your workshops affect that? And how do you dive to the core to calibrate that? I'm like, I'm like jumping in here before you stop speaking. I want to make room because I, I, whenever I see Mike take a deep breath, I know that something good is coming. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 um, I, I want to just notice that where that started for you, that story, it started with something traumatic, right? And something that, that you perceive to be negative, right? And there are no good or bad emotions. There are only constructive or destructive reactions to them. And so because something in my awareness agitates me, I move away from it. And then as I move away from it, I stop. My brain creates a story around what happened. And that is in essence, disconnection. Right. And so my, and, and so we, we slow down and I, and I also love how you said, like, I am not that same person in a way I'm saying my internal relationship with what happened to me is no longer the same. Right. Like right. I've, uh, right. And, and so I, I would, I would argue that who knows until we got, until we travel back there, right. Until we're agitated or we're tested again by something that happens in our life and we react in a way that we don't like that we don't really know, 
right? What that unconscious scripting was, right? And so for a lot of us, that healing experience is simply removal from agitation. And so we actually stay in that same perceived place. And that, but for, for us, we, we call it the rock method to relax, open, connect, to drop in and, and to find that, um, to really travel back to those places inside that agitate us and hurt us and to have to, and, and as Mike and is so good at doing on, on thir in our Thursday open men's groups online, I mean, we can do this and he and I can do this in, in, in five minutes with 30 men over a Zoom call that it's, it's surprising every time for even me, like that we can create a container where we can actually tap into the story of what has happened to us and bring that sensation up in our body and, uh, and learn to rewire that brain, mind, body connection to not yeah. react that way. And ev everyone's, everyone's journey is different, right, Devo? I mean, mm -hmm. you were completely different five years ago, but who knows, like, if you were to step into the unshakable man a year after your divorce, who would you be today? And the, the reality is, is, is that the, the core of what we do is very simple. Yeah. All we do is just slow our bodies down and get back in touch with the physical sensations that come up in our body. We, our bodies store traumas and our bodies have stored traumas our entire lives. And until we've been able to, one, become aware of it and how it's stored in our bodies and then express it and then let it go, that trauma is living in our bodies until we develop a relationship with it. And yeah. so what may have been happening in your relation, in your last relationship, even your last marriages, every single time you felt like you were in survival mode and you were in conflict with your ex-wife, your body was triggered and experiencing a trauma. And so you went into this place of, let me protect myself. And in this place of protection is a really beautiful place because this is how we've evolved as humans. We've evolved to protect ourselves. This is why we're top of the food chain because we've, we've developed these biological uh, responses to our, our external environment. However, we're no longer in the face of threat daily like our ancestors were. were. And so now our face of threat might be our romantic partner, our business partner, it could be friends, it could be yeah. people that we love the most. And when, these, when the stimuli from them impacts us and, and we respond or we react with a defense, that's where it goes into, let me reactivate this trauma that's coming up for me. And I'm going to respond in a way that might not be healthy, that might be very destructive. And we see that often with men, that guys get to a point where they have not, they have not reached a level of awareness in their traumas where they can actually step back, take a deep breath and say, holy cow, I am reacting in a way that's violent. I'm reacting in a way that's hurting someone and, uh, and, I, can't, and I can do something about this. Yeah. And, and one, of the, one of the neatest things, I, I say neat, that like I'm like, I like to say neato. Like it, one of those neat things about this is like, we had, I ever imagine like you attract relationships that make you feel good. Mm -hmm. Right. Like you, I, I want a relationship. I want to be around a human being who makes me feel good. Right. And so if I have unprocessed trauma and come on, we all made it, we all survived to get to where we are today by doing things to get our needs met. 
that we weren't consciously thinking through at eight years old, five years old, 13 years old, 22 years old, 28 years old. We weren't thinking through consciously about what was the most healthy way to respond. We were doing what we needed to do to survive, to get to where we are today. And then when we build a relationship with someone at that, at that level where we are, I wanna remove the word level, at that place where we are, we, we bond with someone who soothes us. And because we're, we're not, we, we have this unprocessed trauma, this is one of the most interesting things for me about this work at a personal level and also seeing men in relationship, whether it's their business partner or whether it's their, their romantic partner or whether it's their friends that they're disconnecting from or, or overly connecting to, is that um, when I go through a healing experience, that can be really scary for my partner because we've built a bunch of unconscious scripting around you soothing me be reacting in a negative way in the past. So now I'm showing up in a more empowering way. And then they find out that they were unconsciously wanting, like mm -hmm. looking for you to react that other way. Right. And this is that whole, like the, you know, the secret, if we want to push this like further and further down that we attract the people that, that soothe us. Right. And that, that we attract that who we are capable of meeting at that, at that point in our lives, but we build our relationship around love. I heard you say love earlier. So many of us think of love as an emotion and love's not an emotion. Like love is present even without getting your needs met. Love is not, does not increase and decrease if you make me breakfast, right? Like, right. And, and yet that's how we're taught. That's what we're mm -hmm. taught by our parents and by our relationships. Mm. It's an overused word, that's definitely sure. And I'd like to jump into that. But going back to one of the things you said, I was taking a couple of notes just because my memory goes all over the place. You were talking yeah. about that, in the, that when we first seek relationships, we're looking for someone to make us feel good about ourselves and finding- Well, we just, it just, we just end up feeling, right? Because it's, we think we find people who make us, who soothe us. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I think the number's up to 70% now of first marriages fail. Is that wow. part of the reason that first marriages fail is that a people are marrying too soon and marrying for the wrong reasons, but they're also just not mature enough and loving themselves mm -hmm. enough to be in a marriage. So by the time, so I was married for 10, seven years before I got divorced with that same woman for 10 years. And by the time, and Lisa has a similar version that she, she's going to share. I hope that she will. By the time those 10 years came around, I was such a completely different human that I was when I first met that person, as, as was she, by the way. So she has a right. completely different perspective. So it's almost like, why are people commingling in that sort of capacity so early on? Because we haven't even figured out who the hell we are at that point. I think one of the most, I mean, this is just my, my personal opinion, but let's look at the, let's look at the culture of, of, of marriage. Right. And I, I think for me and my fiance, Anna, we've learned more about a culture of marriage from Mike and Jerry uh, than uh, two men who had to decide to, to, to get married uh, about what that culture of, of marriage is and how to design it and how to, how, to in, how to question it and not just take it on unconsciously. Right. And, and what are we doing in, in this program with men? And I, I would also just like to point out, like, this is human work. We're just, we're just responding to, in my, in my, from my perspective of how we got into this is we're responding to a need of pain, right. For men. 
that men are deeply in pain. Uh, and yet the perception is, is that they have all the power uh, that they, that they shouldn't need a space of healing uh, for, for many men that like, and that, that turns into a guilt, right. And a shame that further disconnects them and removes them and makes them more angry. Right. And, and so I, um, yeah, got off track from marriage, but yeah, this is all about connection. Yeah. I think I, I, go ahead, Lisa. Sorry. Go ahead. I, I think there's like all these different layers and nuances as to why so many people are, are getting a divorce today. I think, what we find in successful relationships is, um, is the ability and the want and need to grow and evolve together. Mm-hmm. One as a, a unit, but also as individuals. How can we support each other in this relationship as we both grow as different people? And then how can we support our relationship as we both grow together? And that conversation isn't ever had, right? That conversation is really hard to have Say, for instance, I start heading in a direction of, I, I, this is actually a true story, true story. I started heading in the direction of spirituality and meditation. And my husband is very, he's a, he's a retired physician. He's very logical. He needs tangible things. Didn't really, doesn't really believe in spirituality. He's an atheist. And, um, and I was so in like, that boat too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I was just like, cool, like you do your thing. I'm going to meditate and uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to head in this direction. And I did it for several months and he started to notice the impact in me, right? I wasn't preaching. I wasn't being evangelical about, mm-hmm. uh, about my meditation. I was just showing him what my life looked like after meditating and, and, and getting in touch with more of my spirit and my soul. And from there, I started to take off and evolve this way. He saw my evolution and he was going this way, but decided, you know what? That looks really fun. I'm going to go this way with him. And so where in our relationships do we decide where we can evolve together and where can we continue to be on our separate paths and be okay with it and support mm-hmm. each other in that? Um, and um, yeah, I think back to, back to Chris's point, I think you know, what we're teaching guys here is that the stories that they've been told and the conditioning that they've been taught and the stories that they've been strengthening over the decades of their life don't have to be true anymore that we can reframe these stories when we slow down and we become aware of the thoughts the feelings the emotions the stories the judgments that come up in our heads we can actually slow down step back observe these and ask ourselves is this actually true is this judgment true the feeling might be real because i feel it in my body but is it actually factual Mm-hmm. And, and from there, we get to basically create a new narrative for these men yeah. using yeah. our breath and slowing the way the hell down. And this is like slowing down can be scary for guys because we're, we're so taught to go, 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 go. Right. Chris was uh, an, at a national level, an endurance athlete. And so his upbringing was go, 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 go. Mm-hmm. And we see so, and then he goes into sales, right? Software sales. And, and we see in, in so many cultures of man that it's about producing, about being uh, productive, about creating something, about going, 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 going. But the work we do is the antithesis of all that. It's actually just taking a deep breath and, and then, approaching it one by one. And I, 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 love that. I love that you know my story so well, Mike, and that you bring that up. But I think what's really interesting there is that, as you say, the, 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 
you know, the tension, the anger, like I didn't even know that I was an angry young man. And yet that anger has a constructive and a destructive outcome. A constructive one is that it got me, it taught me, it helped me break through ADD and go out and win and, and get, get, take on a role of being an athlete and which gave me an identity that was external from myself. Right. But then as a destructive consequence, it made, it gave me a disconnection from being able to be vulnerable. Right. And a perception that I couldn't share what was going on on the inside. And that lasted until I was in, I'd lost that identity. And then look, I re-switched it into software sales without going to college and, and made it through that. So there's like, it's, it's interesting how there's this constructive thing where the thing that I was so negative about was also serving me in this way, it was giving me all these things that I valued. And that's, I think that that is a through line of, of this work, right? Is that is for a lot of men in this work, like, uh, one thing I, I would love to point out is that this is like, it's really cool. Like this isn't neg. This isn't doesn't have to be about a negative thing. Like we're literally learning about ourselves and our relationship with our environment and our mind. And it's not, it's not, uh, it's simple, and yet profound. Right? Like the the tools in ten weeks, we can take a man from learning how to celebrate. I mean, the first thing we do with a man is we we take them and we give them an exercise where they throw a ball into a container 10 to 15 feet away and make it difficult just to feel in their body when they finally get it in that, oh my gosh, I can feel internal celebration, which is different than external validation. And I heard you guys talk about validation earlier. We then, they then realize, oh, whoa, I can feel in my body. And then we hear from half of them, wait, I've been playing beer pong all my life and I've never paid attention to the fact that when I get it in, my body lights up and like I have an emotional, physical reaction in my body of surprise that I did something good and I've been cutting that off with my mind uh -huh. my whole life because I didn't want to show other people that I was happy, uh -huh. right? And that's emotional, that is the beginning of emotional granularity, emotional embodiment, emotional vocabulary, right? Emotional differentiation. So then what we do is we then build on that feeling over 10 weeks and all it is is just experience checking in on what it was for me feel it express it suppress it bring it up around other men right and when you do this in a group with with 10 other men in a circle i get 10 examples of 10 different people 10 different humans right and what they th think they're feeling and it gives me like different words i can use different ways of checking in on myself. And then what we always say is just, just wait, right? Like this isn't about reacting in a different way consciously. This is, we know it's working when you notice unconsciously you react in a new way and you're like, oh my gosh, I was sitting in the kitchen and my partner was frustrated after all day of work in coronavirus. And I heard her in the other room on the phone all day and she came in to start react telling me a thing about it and I took a breath and I didn't do anything and she looked at me and was expecting me to just jump in on something and I I didn't and then I realized she didn't like we connected yeah I want to talk about that breath in a second but before we do I know Lisa's been waiting to say something and we've <laughs> 
<laughs> I probably lost game. those thoughts because I got so involved in what you're saying. But Chris, you mentioned a while ago, you said the word perception. And I think that kind of summarizes so many things. We have so many perceptions about things when even we're talking about marriage that, you know, we grow up and we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And then we get to that point, we're married and we're like, okay, where's the end of the rainbow where you know what next i was told when i got here i i'm gonna procreate and have kids and that's gonna be but we've missed the essence of those yeah check off all those boxes but we've missed the essence of those tools that are really going to generate that happiness and what our expectations are and I, I just kind of love how you're, you're bringing out those things that are actually those, those key fundamental roles. Now, you've also talked about like vulnerability and vulnerability is courage when I was reading through um, just on your, your, your blogs and your sites and all of that. I don't think that, I think women are, you know, again, going back to those roles, men are portrayed as this and women can be nurturers or they can be vulnerable or they can be emotional but that same vulnerability hasn't hasn't blanketed over to men. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, we believe that true leadership comes from the vulnerability. We help guys lead from their heart and lead with openness. And, you know, it, what we see in our work is when we can, when we show our vulnerability, when we open up to our vulnerability, it gives other guys permission to open up as well. And that's where some of the healing starts for these guys is just witnessing another man be vulnerable, witnessing another man cry or, or scream or yell or be held or, or uh, whatever it is that like this work is really about, you know, in emotional awareness, we talk about emotional contagion, right? Being able to see someone notice what they're feeling and then try to feel it ourselves or our body responds naturally to another person crying. And we have the opportunity to either allow that sensation to come up and allow ourselves to cry, or we can go back to our old scripts and say, you know what, this is not what a man does. I'm going to stuff this back down. Mm-hmm. I love that you, that you're talking about this because this just like, how many and again i don't know but how many men get together and are that vulnerable and are okay with another dude breaking down and crying and you know consoling them or any of that like that seems it's okay for girls we see that in movies but we never see that with with males and i think as well like you're you're making this creative comfortable space where it's safe and you're able to do that there's so many of us throughout our lives and, you know, my life is a different story, but I always felt like I was sitting off on the sidelines and thinking there's, you know, what's wrong with me because I'm not conforming to this and I'm not doing X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And there's something really like opening about being able to come into space and being able to, to have all these experiences with, with no judgments or anything and just improving on your life. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, you heard us talking in the beginning on that. I couldn't even, in my own home, couldn't even go to my parents if I was upset about something. So mm-hmm. my mother would literally chastise me for crying because she was afraid that my dad would find out I'd been crying. And so I was never allowed to be vulnerable. And I know I can't be unique in that situation. And one of the things that I keep hearing you say about vulnerability, I also hear the correlation of repression and so, or suppression, repression. So 
Again, great, because, great words. Yeah, because we're not allowed to express ourselves because we're not allowed to be emotional. That's a feminine thing. There are, and Lisa and I were doing some data research on this. I think, and I've written some stuff down, but men are three and a half times more likely to die of suicide. They're 10 times more likely to be involved in alcoholism. 10, uh, 10 or 15 times more, um, actually that was 25% more related, um, inclined to be using drugs and pharmaceuticals and sort of stuff. And one of the things that I keep reading when I see those data is between the lines, and we have another guest coming on next week to talk about this, is there's a significant increase in domestic abuse, child abuse, not only suicide, but alcohol now since Corona has come on scene, but even before that, this was going on. And so men, men's way of expressing their vulnerability is typically through violence, right? Because we were taught as young children that violence was okay. I played football. I used to box. I actually used to fight men and beat them up. Well, I got beat up most of the time, but in the <laughs> ring, <laughs> I was really good at running around the ring. I'm like, I don't want to get hit anymore. I'm not sure why I'm doing this, but we're actually taught from day one to be violent and, mm-hmm. and that it's okay mm-hmm. to be violent. We pay, glorified. We pay, as little boys. Yeah. We pay millions of dollars for other men to hit other men in a ring like gladiators. So at what point, I think I have a, I think I have like 30 questions. At what point did that change? Because I think, Thousands of years ago, that was not always the case. And, at, and, and now there's a metamorphosis going on where men are losing power and women are gaining power. But at what point do men get to the, get to the space where if they're always taught to be bullies, if they're always taught to be tough, if they're always taught to, be, to not cry, how, how does one find their way to an organization like you or what, find their way to help in the first place? Yeah, there's like, there's so many, many layers and I know, it's so impossible to get in one I love that. I love that. I, I, I want to start off with, uh, with first with violence, because it is in our DNA as young boys to wrestle with each other. Play, playful wrestling is part of who we are. We like, it is we're how learning. we, we're learning. We're learning how to be in this world and be with each other. However, there's a distinction in how we teach what that is, right? So it's like, uh, in, if you look at animals in the wild, animals learn to hunt by playing with their, their other siblings. They tackle each other. They, they pounce on each other. We do the same thing as young boys. And it is very much part of our DNA. This is also a, a, a way for us boys to create intimacy with each other, to hold each other, to touch each other, to uh, be in each other's space. However, we have then societal conditioning come in and say, hey, what it means to be a man is you do not hug your, your guy friends. You do not talk about your emotions. You do not do X, Y, and Z. These are all girly. These are all gay. Um, on top of that, as we get older, we get bullied if we, are, if we act sensitive, if we show an emotion. Also, we get bullied if we don't show any interest in the opposite sex. And so uh, what tends to happen is um, young boys that don't fit these markers already feel less than and not man enough. And not to say that the, the, the bullies themselves don't, mat, don't feel man enough because I feel like bullying in a way is a way of projection. Coming from that place. It's an insecurity, exactly. Yeah. Hurt people but, hurt people. Absolutely. And, but what we see is through conditioning, you know, 
boys turn into adults and get into college and they go through these quote unquote rites of passages here in America, which is uh, you turn 21, you can drink, uh, you graduate college, you land a job, you buy a house, you get married, you have the kids. These are like almost like our rites of passages here in America. And, um, but what tends to happen is with these rites of passages is we then lose connection with our other guy friends. We move to another city to, to get another job. Uh, maybe we just become too busy. We start a family. And so all our male-to-male connections and our friendships start to dissipate. And they're not as, maybe they weren't deep before, but yeah, but now they're, they, you, you don't have any. So you start to see, it at the, starting at the age of 30 to 35, men start to lose male friends in their life. And their, their primary relationship is- I think that's when they partner. notice it. When they notice it, it's gone at 25, right? Right, totally, 20, yeah. 25. And then, and then we start to see, going back to your statistic there, uh, Devo, that uh, guys start to notice that they are lonely around the ages 40 to 45. Now, it doesn't mean that they haven't felt lonely before. They just haven't been able to describe it. They haven't been able to describe, like, I feel depressed right now. I feel sad. I feel disconnected. At 40, guys start to notice, holy shit, what is going on with my life? Where, where is my life going? Where are my friends? The highest demographic of suicides in America are committed by men ages 45 to 65. 45 to 65. These are older men. Now we start to look at why is it 45 to 65? We look at their upbringing and maybe what it means for them to be a man. The lone wolf Mm -hmm. syndrome, the myth of doing it by yourselves, not asking for help, being able to be the provider for your family. So guys start to reach 45 to 65 and all of a sudden they may have gone through a divorce. They may have lost their job. They may have lost their kids. And all of a sudden, their whole sense of identity of what it means to be, be a man is completely lost. And so now, under, under the construction of American manhood and Western culture, now under these terms, I don't feel like I am a man because I'm not providing for anyone. I don't have a job. I don't have a partner. And I can't ask, and I can't ask for help. But I'm, I'm, I'm struggling internally, and I don't know how to get that help. And so... How do I, how do I appease this? How do I, how do I settle this? I'm going to commit suicide. I'm going to let go of my life because it's not worth it, worth it anymore. I don't know. And, and I have all these social pressures telling me that I, I'm not supposed to be asking for help anymore. And that's coming. And that's also internally getting expressed in my isolation and in my loneliness. Okay. So everything that you said, I just have to jump in. There's another, there's a, you've covered so much. The other thing that they do, because I can speak, <laughs> I can speak personally about this. Men look for other ways to validate that too. So if if they look for other women in their life that are maybe gonna like give them that boost, or sorry, you're smiling, but you knew I was gonna be <laughs> triggered on that. That's what that's what breaks up marriages as well, because they're looking externally for that emotional like tell me that I'm great. Tell me that I haven't failed in this and that I'm doing all they, the things. They do it with the other men. Out of my ass. <laughs> yeah, they do, they do it with other men in our groups, right? Like like yeah. when a man will enter into a group, he'll, he'll ask for uh, validation or support through, um, through accountability and accountability buddy, right? And then, and then I'll, there's a difference in sensation between taking internal responsibility for yourself and ha- owning that accountability for myself and then che- checking in with another man and saying, hey, I did this thing. 
there's a very big difference between that and having somebody externally saying, hey, I need you to check in on me, right? right. That's, that, that's not accountability, right? That's not having, having someone else create a, a, a deficit or like a, a, a reprimand, right? Of, of me having to hold up and say, hey, I did this thing I said I would do. And so that like that externalization, right? That's the type of thing that we get to work through in these groups but i heard i heard devo ask before like how to how do men find it and then i and then i i just felt myself being taken on that journey of of manhood right the predominant culture of manhood and what's happening to men in this society and i think when i sum up what i got what we got to hear mike uh portray which is absolutely happening to us and around us with it whether we want it to happen or not and however i identify with masculinity or what if I think of myself as a tough, strong leader who doesn't have problems, right? Or if I'm thinking of myself as a victim who has been hurt by multiple relationships and I'm an alcoholic, right? Uh, and, and like whether, however we, right? Or whether I'm a mix of those things, right? I think we, the men get into this work through desire, right? And we, we desire, we desire, there's either a level of dissatisfaction and disconnection in my life uh, and then what I think this is something that's really allowed the unshakable man to, to skyrocket over the past few years, as I think Mike will probably identify with this with me, was I used to feel the pressure to, as a, as a creator and as somebody who wanted to create these containers, to make these containers about a specific subject, right? Like, oh, this is going to be healing work, or this is going to be uh, performance mindset sessions for CEOs, or this is going to be for, uh, for young men. I used to work for a program called UnCollege, where working with kids not taking a year off from college. Oh, this is going to be for young men who have, who have anger issues and who have gotten kicked out of college or school, uh, right? But what we're seeing now is by mixing men of various backgrounds and various uh, various age groups, right? From like from 15 to 72, right? That we are actually, this is all about connection. And then once I learn these fundamental tools hmm. and I get a I get a reference point for where I am, then I can f I can implement this on my focus area, right? And maybe hmm. it's about being a better leader. Well, one of the things you're doing, whether you realize it or not, is you're mimicking what original indigenous cultures environment provided. We have our own so, rite of passage. Yeah. So young men were assigned as apprentices, <laughs> were, were literally working with 80-year-old men, shamans in the, in the tents and learning how to mix the herbs from the ground. And they would work with groups of other men that would learn to hunt. And, but the cool thing about that is women were intermingled into that process as well. And they played a central role in the development of both men and women. And somewhere along the lines, I have my theories, religion maybe, separated man and woman and made women subservient, et cetera. And we can go down that rabbit hole. We're not going down that yeah. rabbit hole. Spirituality versus religion. Well, that's where I was going is that the spirituality. And, and that's something that I espouse to Elisa does as well is that we're all in our own level of development and some are more evolved than others based upon a variety of different theories. But can somebody come to that awareness, uh, that awareness that awakening on their own without any sort of intervention first. 
Well, and you said as well, like a lot of times it's a a huge conflict or something that has Mm -hmm. spurned Mm -hmm. someone. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, that's exactly it. I think, you know, so... I think if there's one thing that our culture did teach men, it's to, they, we taught men how to not feel and to numb, to distract. We taught men how can we, how can we avoid these feelings, these hard emotions that are coming up, and how can I distract myself with something else? That could be an addiction to work. It could be addiction to porn. It could be addiction to alcohol or drugs. It could be anything. We've just taught guys We've taught our society that it's okay to numb ourselves. And the moment that guys start to feel a sensation, they say, it has to come from themselves. It can't come from anyone else. They have to know in their own heart and in their body that they need, they have to change because something is not working anymore. That awareness might come at 21, that awareness might come at 75. And it's not a level. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's not a level. It's just when it happens for them. And, and guys come to this for different, different reasons. And there isn't any comparison of the severity of it all. What the, what the common denominator in all of this is, is guys have an awakening or an awareness that this thing, whatever they're doing, the patterns in their life are not working anymore. So, so I understood all that part. I guess where I was getting at, and I, and I think I know your answer, it has to do with the destructive versus the constructive. So I didn't mean that we all are at certain levels and we're qualified or we deserve to be calibrated by you. What I meant to say was that with us. Are, are all people... Okay, let me back up. Let me see if I can fit. Let's say that I had not reached my awareness and that I didn't realize that I needed to change who I was. And I would venture to say that a large population, significantly larger population of men have not reached that point of self-awareness where they realize I actually need to find some help, right? Well, but but in that connotation, we're in some way saying that one is better than the other, right? And that that judgment call, that that isn't necessarily the like, that's not what we're, we're not judging that, right? This is that, does that make sense? Like that drifting, that like because we can't make someone want to change right you wouldn't want to work with that person i guess is what i'm trying to say you wouldn't wouldn't want to work with us because they haven't they haven't reached that point where they need to be destructed yet and they have to go through that first and foremost like lisa you talked about last night about obstacles we need the obstacles so i have to reach a breaking point before i'm actually like fuck i need to reach out to somebody have you have you guys tried breath work have you guys been through like a breath a holotropic breath work session I can go through that session, right? Allowing the breath to, to affect my physical relationship with my mind and my body. And I can get tense and I can tense up and hold on tighter. And it can be a, it can be a tight, traumatizing, tight experience that I don't want to go back to. Or I can say, I want to open to this. I want to receive to this. And so that, that's a choice, right? Like that is, a, that is where that, that is my relationship with that, that thing. Um, I did want to get, say one thing for Lisa because we've been talking a lot. I know we are here to talk about men's work and and we're men's coaches and this is a no, men's you're making the world awareness. Better place. You keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are, but I, I think something that keeps coming up for me has been um, uh, this, like in the culture of womanhood, and I I got to see this through my fiance and and my, uh, my deepening of, in this practice with myself as a man, is that. In, with women, there's a culture of, uh, of, I think, pervasive sympathy, right? Where it's like, go girl, I got your back. Like all, like culturally, like we support all women. 
all women are supporting other women, but then when, it, when the going gets tough, they don't actually vote for women, right? They don't actually support a woman in leadership, right? Like, and like a lot of the data shows that women will not actually, when they, when they go to actually vote for a woman or when they are, are supporting another woman in leadership on her same team, that she doesn't actually do that, right? And they like kind of pull the rug out from under each other. And I think that that, like that, that is an interest. And then there's also this culture of that women are automatically good at emotions, right? And it's like- We have a lot of work to do as well. Well, it's just not, it's not necessarily fair to say that just because women are allowed or given these messages of like girl, like be a like girl boss, we're on the up or like girls can be anything that it's any easier, right? It's, uh -huh. it's, it's like, we all have healing. We all have challenges. And, and that this is just by organizing a group of men, we're able to heal our relationship with masculinity and our, and our, our role, our place in the, in the world. Uh -huh. Can I just ask you a question too, because we were talking a little bit about it and you were talking about men needing deep connections with other men. So how do they do that? And then I want to talk a little bit, we could talk all day to you actually. Um, you have a lot on your, your site talking about egos as well. And I'd like to talk mm. a little bit about that, but first of all, I'll how let do, Mike how take do... the, the connection. Yeah. So one of the major components of what we do, I mean, we're, we're a one-on-one -on -one coaching practice, but another component is we have a program called men's emotional awareness and um, it is a cohort of men. And one of the components of this emotional awareness program is a men's group. And in a men's group, we sit in circle and we show up, we open up, we slow down and we share. And by that experience alone, by just sharing a piece of what we're going through, of what we're feeling, of the sensations that are coming up in our body, and even sometimes a little bit of context and story, we can then start to relate and connect with other men. I think so often we have this false idea that the problems we go through are, are, uh, individual to us that no one else is going through this problem and I and we see this so common with men that they're that they are the only people in the world that are going through depression or that they are going through a divorce like that they're they going through or they're losing their kids or whatever it is and so it inhibits them from talking to their male friends about what they're going through and so in this space in our men's group we allow guys to connect with each other by sharing similar stories and by, by validating each other and seeing each other and telling each other how they've been impacted. In, in many ways, it's, it's how can we share this emotion with each other? And uh, I say this often in our men's group when someone is going through a healing process and they're expressing and they're letting go is the, the 20, 20 of us that are witnessing this guy heal, we're actually helping him hold that emotion with him so he doesn't have to do it alone. And you're getting a reference point at the same time. Absolutely. So, so that group empowerment or that group validation through that group empowerment, is that part of the exercise or is that just one of the It's all of the casket. exercise. That is. Yeah. So that, that's kind yeah. of the core of what that philosophy is. But that's, I mean, that's I, so I, interesting to me because I think we all, both male and female, walk around trying to be perfect all the time and trying to, to you know, I'm doing this and this and this and mm -hmm. you've got this facade up and 
the moment you let that down and realize that perfect people are boring and they're <laughs> with you and you, you, uh, you increase your, your joy for life and, and, and your friends, you know, your friends yeah. will change because you can actually discuss real things with them that are going to benefit you both. Yeah. I, I, and also that, that, that facade takes internal energy in order to keep up and we aren't, aware of that until we let it down and we notice that that risk of vulnerability that risk of trauma is the risk of being able to live to connect mm -hmm. to someone and then we go whoa like oh wow i had no idea i was even putting energy into maintaining this facade i can actually save energy and that's the difference between force and power Right. And that we keep throwing around empowerment. And I keep, I, I notice my shoulders tighten to that because, like, there's a part of me in my story, like, men don't need more external, the false use of power, right? We don't need more force and control in the world. This is about opening, connecting. And power is through vulnerability, right? It's through being able to surf that wave, not hold it up right? Not, not be rigid and stiff, but being able to morph with whatever we call it, like the dance in the men's groups that we're in. But the, uh, to, for Devo, like the, there's really like three modalities. If you want to look at this, like from a physical training perspective, right? Because phys emotions are physical reactions that are happening in the body that are telling the mind that, that the mind is consciously aware of that are telling the brain that something important is happening to your well-being, And sensations are that are that, but they're not. The mind might not be consciously aware of them, and it and therefore it's not important to your well-being yet, right? And as we deepen, we become more aware of more sensations. We could be picking up the sensation of our partner, and it's not necessarily our emotion, right? And and so this creates more connectivity. And so what we're doing in this from a physical perspective is we have the men's group on Thursdays where we drop in. That's like a deep reference point. And then we have breathwork on Sundays and we do breathwork more often than that in the future. But we have breathwork on Sundays, which just gets you totally out of your mind and into your body and brings up a lot of unconscious uh, stuff that might be in their memories, uh, stories will come up. And then we have, uh, we put, we form the men into triads where they get to practice the work on each other. And we aren't just expressing in these groups, right? Like we aren't just, I was watching a movie last night on Netflix and there was a, there was a, there was a men's group in the movie and the guys were all complaining and it just made me cringe because the, the perception of what we're doing in these circles on the, from the media perspective is that we are not in there complaining about our lives. Not a venting session? No, no, not at all. And like a lot of stuff that I've seen portrayed or even been a part of is not what we're doing in this place. We, we, we are slowing a man down and, and, and asking him to express whatever An he experience. is experiencing, experience what is mm -hmm. in his current emotional, emotional experience. And so an example, great, when we really, those aha moments are when men realize that we aren't there to make anyone feel better, mm -hmm. right? And that we unconsciously, like, let's say a man checks in and says like, something, something so external, right? Like, a death, right? Or, at, or, or, or uh, can't change his partner and it's hurting him. And he's so sad, but he's actually coming off as angry. And in that moment, we're like, well, I don't know, you're, you're saying that you're sad, but when you said that I felt, 
We didn't say you made me feel. When you said that, I felt, I felt anger, right? Like I felt frustration, right? And then he's like, oh, I'm, I'm coming across as frustrated and angry. And his shoulders relax. And we're like, what was behind that breath? And he's like, all right. And then all of a sudden he relaxed and he starts to be able to, to touch on that deeper, what's behind that frustration frustration and anger right and oftentimes we're not we're, we're just moving from one emotion to the next and then guys if a man can get really really sad if a man is 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 really down met, uh, i love when a man in the room who might be newer says oh it's going to be okay and then i would see mike just tighten up and go right and a bunch of the men you don't know that before they all right we don't know that it's not going to be okay <laughs> Like, don't, don't tell him it's going to be okay. We're not here to say it's going to be okay. That's sympathy, right? And so I'm like, I'm deeply confident in this work just from a, well, personal experience perspective, but also just like a fundamental training perspective. If I was training you for an emotional marathon, I would give you a long run once a week for six months, right? And then you would do your short run and your stretches right? And you would find a group to go run with and to jog with, and you would go through it and you'd finish your marathon, right? And then you'd come out and you'd decide like, oh, do I want to keep running marathons? Or was that good? Was that all I wanted to do? And in a way, this is like getting your emotional reps, right? Like in, in six months, you can really like completely deepen and widen your emotional spectrum and, and have a completely new reference point for, for how you're feeling. Well, to further that analogy of exercising and you're exercising your emotions, it's funny because going back to how we started, if you're athletic or even if you're not, you're in school and you're told to have physical education classes as an elementary, you're required to be in gym as in middle school. And then in high school, you typically take on a sport or you don't, but we always forget that our mind or our emotions as well also need fitness. They also need training. They also need to be learned to be disciplined. And we're always spent so much time in the physical aspect of ourselves, especially men. And it's even more important. I mean, emotional awareness is a bit, is a major, a more, a higher emotional intelligence and emotional intelligence and awareness are two different things, but emotional intelligence is, is more highly correlated to success in life than your IQ. Right. And so if I can be more aware of myself, well, then I can have a more, I I can react differently to the things that are inevitably going to happen in my life. Right. And so just back to like where, where Mike, Mike, Mike's depiction of of like the, the predominant culture of of disconnection, like we, I think I I can come in here from having anger and frustration uh, or a plateau in my life as, as a, as a leader or as a CEO um, who is feeling the need to, to be able to more like stagnated at a 20 person team and can't seem to grow their company. I can also have that same, that same thing and with a relationship with my partner, right? Or my kids, maybe my kids are home from coronavirus and I, and like, I, I like can't, I can't connect with them. I'm getting super angry at them all the time. Right. Or, a, or a young man in college who, um, who has, who has really big goals and dreams for themselves and are, are very dissatisfied with their current level in life and are, are under a lot of stress. So lots of different ways in. Mm-hmm. I just realized we're at 710. 
You also said that one of the major um, emotions that men feel is anxiety. Do you, do you feel that's pretty much across the board and even more so right now? Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 100%, 100%. I think, you know, so guys, guys that come to us, we, they already know that they need some help. Guys that come to us, they are probably feeling burnt out or stressed in their lives. They probably have some uh, severity of anxiety. Um, they, things aren't just not working in their lives. And now that Corona is around people, guys are losing their jobs. This idea of manhood and being the provider is no longer there. Um, and so um, the anxiety is, is at its peak level. Guys are starting to really have these severe breakdowns. Um, but what's interesting is that I, I believe that you know anxiety is anxiety just lives in the future, right? It's being worried or it's being anxious about what's happening in the future, um, something that we can't really control in this moment. The what we do in our groups is we help the guy. We actually help the guy feel the anxiety to its peak. We want to see the guy. We want, to, we want to help the guy bring that anxiety up almost yeah. so that their body is responding. Maybe they're shaking. Okay, that's giving me anxiety, right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, the group, the group will do it to be in a circle with a group yeah. of other men will make that happen for most people on its own. Yeah. And, and when we can complete the emotion, the, the energy that it takes to feel that emotion starts to dissipate after the group. Right. So a guy gets to come in a group, he's feeling anxious and he gets to feel it almost to its completion. His body calms back down. He goes back from sympathetic to parasympathetic nervous system, body calms back down. And then all of a sudden he's created space in his body to do and, great shit. And, he's, to, and he did a rep. <laughs> and he did an emotional rep. Right. right. And so, yeah, like anxiety is like it, Anxiety has been, it's been very common, especially these last, uh, these last several months. I will also say that anxiety is something that many guys don't talk about, but they feel. And, and what, and what I, oh, I just, I had, Mike, what a great, when you were, what a great segue into, we keep saying like guys come to us when they want this, this help, right? When they're, they're under stress or this, these negative connotation things uh, in my in my experience can be looked at from other men as I don't have that problem I'm tough right and I think that there's another category of men that come to us too and I see this hidden in the words on Instagram of performance mindset right like uh like uh like leadership right I'm going to be a CEO I'm going to be a Navy like Navy SEAL toughness right it's all just the opposite reaction to the same thing right? Like the, it's an agitation. And then my relationship with that is I'm better, I can win dominion over this. It's still an act of, of force, right? And so I think you can, men come into this work from I am being like, there's too much anger, there's too much fear, there's too much anxiety. And one of the first things we teach about anxiety and stress is that they're weasel words, right? That when we have the emotional vocabulary and we in our mind, we label that physical reaction as I'm anxious. It's very different than saying, I feel frustrated, I feel tired, rushed. and I feel rushed and confused, mm -hmm. right? And so when we learn to have to label the physical reaction or the state, that's a new, a new way to connect with that emotional experience. The brain has a different path 
for being able to satiate that and move on to the next emotion, mm -hmm. right? And like when I was teaching public speaking, like we would get people anxious, right? And so all of these different modalities are like working together to just create this widening and deepening, right? Like we want you to, to feel something, right? And if we need to get you angry in an anger ceremony to do that, that's one thing. We could also do shame and guilt, but then also joy. Like I, for me, one of the biggest things in this work was learning that like, I didn't trust men who had experienced, who had expressed joy repeatedly for three months in the group, right? Like I, I went through a whole period when we were forming our initial cohorts of where men, I would notice myself get tight. And I was like, wait, like what is going on with me? And like, oh, I needed this work to be about a problem, right? Like I've been helping guys, my story into this was a problem. And now like, but now I'm at a point personally where I'm like, wow, I've worked through that perceptual database of, of, of major agitations. I really, I'm here to express some joy, right? Some, I, I'm thankful, I'm feeling like good. This is yeah. awesome. And I, I wasn't allowing that. I love that, Chris, because I think there's a misconception too of what these men's groups are of like, this, these men's groups are here to, to get the anger out and smash things and cry and talk about yeah. all the problems, but it's not about that. It's, it's, a, it's about just allowing yourself to just be. And if that looks like experiencing joy and excitement and elation, then let's bring that to the table because we can heal from that as well. Yeah. What are some of the things the two of you, and man, we are running out of time. What are some of the things the two of you now being as self-aware and introspective as you've become, as you counsel and coach other people, what would somebody who was coaching you advise you that needs to be worked on? Mm. <laughs> or what, what am I working on? Right. What are you, yeah. what, what are your, what, what is your, yeah. What does For your, me, number one, my number one thing, maybe I'll, I'll is uh, the self-righteous sensation of that. I, this is what I have been noticing. And, and lately has been, if I, if, if I, when, when something agitates me, whether it's with Mike or whether it's with Anna, my two most important relationships in my life, um, when something agitates me and I relax through that, I notice it and then I show up in a more empowering way that even in the act of doing that, I, there have, there's like a secondary emotion that has come up of feeling like I am somehow um, doing something that is good and therefore I sh they should appreciate that right mm. and that is that is a that is a freaking trick okay. that is that is self-righteousness of its next stage right because the more that I relax and open and connect to my partner or to that person I am in relationship with that that feeling that sensation of like wow I just like I just moved through this. That's like a secondary, I notice I'm like holding my hand like this, right? Like it's like a secondary emotion of like, I, I'm not doing something that then I deserve some credit for, right? Like that's the thing that is so- That's your, e that's your ego asking for that. Yeah, yeah, that's, and I, I like to call it the ego utility because the, the ego has a purpose, right? It's not bad, it's not good, it serves its purpose. And that it steps in and says like, oh, like this is how thing I should be, right? And and it's interesting how like like I am 
like I am doing, I, I can, I can't change Anna. I can't change Mike, but I can influence Mike and I can influence Anna. And, and that's that there's a difference between repression, suppression and expression, and then letting go. And that's where letting go comes in is really noticing that secondary tension for me and being like, I mean, really, that's it. Like, <laughs> like, like being it's like, wow. <laughs> well, noticing, noticing that it's there, right? And like, I really was doing this. Like, I would, I would, like, as something would happen, and 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 then I would be like, wow, I just, I just didn't react to that thing. And then it's like, that's not. You do that three or four times, and now I've created an internal deficit that mm -hmm. Mike has to live up to. Mm. Mine doesn't involve instantaneous breath work like that. Lisa will agree. I'll generally, if Lisa and I will argue about something, I'll what? generally, I'll generally realize about five or six minutes after the conversation or the argument that I'm like, you know what? My ego was in the way for about 99.6% of that. The other 0.4 Lisa's clearly to blame, but mm. yeah. And then I realize, and then you kind of have to find a way to crawl your way back into it. And yeah. Well, Devo, I mean, what's, what's happening in your body is your, your body is feeling a threat. And so your body immediately goes into sympathetic nervous system, which is fight or flight. Right. And that triggers is, ego. And that triggers ego, which is act, activating your amygdala, which is your most reptilian part of your brain. And this part of your brain tells you, is this a threat or should I run away? Should I fight or should I run away or should I freeze? And in those moments of arguments, we tend to fight with our partners. And it doesn't happen until after, maybe it's like 20 minutes afterwards, your body calms down, you've taken deep intentional breaths and, and your nervous system goes from sympathetic to parasympathetic. And in this state, your brain, that your prefrontal cortex gets activated, which is a part of your brain that holds empathy, compassion, also planning and thinking about consequences. And so once you get out of the state, finally you're like, oh shit, I shouldn't have said that. What I just said right there really hurt Lisa. Wow, that sucks. And now you're, now you're feeling the empathy <laughs> and compassion because your body has slowed down. And so what we're trying to teach guys is in those moments where our bodies feel a certain reaction to something, we just teach them, let's take a deep breath and let's just notice what this reaction is. But but I just have this like picture of myself 10 years ago, like hearing about anger, like anger management. I hate, I hate the word anger management. Like it's, and like, it's so funny to me right now that I'm like, this makes me laugh that it's for a man on the outside to just imagine like taking a breath right? Like that we're just teaching you to like take a breath. Like, like it's just, it's not like, it's not what we're doing. Like, like, like we're not, we're not, we're not asking you to take a breath to suppress how you're feeling to like, to like show up and not cause someone an issue, like all this stuff. I really like, I really like that, that still comes up for me. And it's like, gosh, like this would not work for me. Like I would not have been interested in this 10 years ago. If someone told me about like, Oh, that thing happens. Take a breath. Like, it looks like taking a breath, but imagine your life is fine and you know your emotional awareness is your experience of your life and you, own, you know as much as you know, right? And so you have a spectrum. We all have one. You don't, your emotional awareness comes when you realize my awareness has expanded. 
So you've got to stretch whatever you've got in order to create some perceived change. So I'm not even comparing Lisa's to Mike's or Devo's to mine. I'm just saying I have one. I'm, mm -hmm. I've got something that is my reality, mm -hmm. right? And I don't know what my reality is until I stretch it, right? And so that, and then that's where, and so to me, this is like, you come in with whatever you got, there's some reason that you think you're here for, and really you're not. That's just the trigger, the thing that brought you here. And then you get into this and it's just like going to the gym when a person, when you come into a personal trainer, when I was like working with a lot of personal trainers and stuff, people are like, oh, I want to be a marathon runner. I want to be fit. And it's like, no, there's a deeper aspiration there. Like there's some other reason why you want to do this work. Right. And it's just, it's, um, it's for me, a lot of this stuff is about, or what, not just for me, what the through the thing to notice here is that we're, we're using the breath as a portal to notice my, my, my emotional state before a, a negative action happens. Right. Like we create, we teach the men to create a breath portal in their life, an automatic behavior of noticing their breath three times a day and to just be like, oh, like my, I notice three things that are around me, notice my physical state, notice my emotional state. And this is while I'm fi filling my water bottle around noon automatically for me. And then when something negative happens, if they, it, because they've trained that adaptation, then they automatically take a breath and they're surprised that they did. We're not asking them to take a breath to suppress being angry. Does that make sense? No, it makes perfect sense. So Mike, not to get you off the hot seat, you didn't answer that question. If, what would your high level executive coach say about you? Uh, it'd probably be around anger. I, well, I mean, like there's a whole laundry list of things that I, that I'm still working on. Right. Like, like, I think, I think that might be like a preconceived notion too, is that like therapists don't need therapists and coaches don't need coaches. Now fuck that. Like we, we all need help for the rest of our lives. Right. Um, but uh, anger for me, you know, when I was younger, I think similar uh, to you Devo is that when I showed anger, I would get reprimanded for it. Uh, and I associate it to discipline and pain. And so every time I showed anger, I would get spanked. And, um, and that confused me as a young boy because my parents were angry at me, and yet they had the authority to use violence on me to teach me that anger was wrong. But they were angry and using violence to teach me that anger was wrong. And so throughout my, what I learned around anger was every, every time I got angry, I would just go into my own place, I would shut down, I would go into a corner, and I would, I would just be completely silent, basically freeze. Mm. What we know about any kind of emotion like we've been talking about is that there, there's constructive ways to respond to an emotion and, and healthy anger, there's like a severity of anger, right? So for me, there's like this side where I isolate and I freeze and I like go away and I flee. And there's this side of anger, which I can access too, which is more of the rage. And that is like, I'm going to inflict pain on you. That might look like hostility. That might use choice. I might use choice words that might look like violence, right? Smack dab in the middle of that is being assertive. And now assertive, I feel like sometimes has a negative connotation for it, but really what I believe assertiveness is, is being able to get what you want with compassion. 
to be able to stand up for what you believe in with compassion. And that is where healthy anger is. That's where constructive anger is, is one, you are, I, one, of, uh, one of our guests on our podcast described anger as being the boundary or the guardian of our boundaries. When our boundaries are being crossed, that's when we jump into this, this emotion of anger. And in healthy anger, when we express anger healthily, we are guarding our boundaries, but we're also being compassionate about what our needs are and what other people's needs are. Um, and still standing up for what we believe in. And so, yeah, I mean, if, if, there's, if there's something that I am still working on is anger and, um, and also my relationship with other people's anger. Um, when I see anger outside of me, I tend to take it on and take it personal. Um, and um, that, is, that is a result of, um, of my parents basically telling me that I made them feel a certain way. Um, yeah. And Mike, that your, your check-in, I love how this is turning into for, what a great moment for you and I. Like, I love that when you shared your thing that you're working on, it landed with me of like, I can see you working. Like, I can see how you have worked on, on that, mm-hmm. right, in our relationship. And it, it's, so, it's just so interesting how, um, that's great. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, it's, Sorry, yeah, we, yeah, we we are in this space of emotional fitness and emotional awareness, but don't think that Chris and I don't get into our own conflicts. We joke right? about this all the time. <laughs> yeah. like, we're like, they're like, this is this is our work. Yeah, we get into these heated battles, but afterwards, we we do exactly what we talk about. We take a break from it, we calm down, and then we approach it again with uh with a calmer state and with with more empathy and sometimes that that ends with us crying with each other and and telling each other that what i love is what i love is mike says heated battle but to my perception being an (laughs) aggressive aggressive goal-oriented person young man that i don't even know that that is aggressive right and so look at my my business partner and best friend is checking in on his relationship with anger and and like and and i mean there's a hundred words a hundred other identifiers of anger before it's anger of frustration, aggression, agitation, leaning in, uh, 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 standing up for an idea, right? And if I, and notice how he's in relationship with me and I feel like I'm the opposite of that, Mm -hmm. right? Like I enjoy leaning into that agitation. Like as an endurance athlete, like I like, we would go for runs when we first started this and we would run together and Mike would be like, oh, I work out so like the opposite of you, right? And, and so it's, it's all an opportunity to just learn and grow like together. Which also like ties us back to the relationships we develop and we the relationships we care about. Yeah. Right. Because it, that doesn't also apply to just romantic relationships of like, you know, f- wanting to feel ease and wanting to feel comfortable. But be, but Chris and I attract each other because we are parts of each other. There are parts of each other that we really gravitate towards and feel comfortable with. And but also two years there, ago, it was different. Right. Totally. Like we, we had different bonds and then we broke up those apart and came back together all within that container. Yeah. Okay, I love what you just said, like all of it. And well, Diva and I can't relate because we've never fought before or, you know, whatever. Ever. But <laughs> but my mom had always said to me, you don't want to get too comfortable with someone. Don't get too comfortable with them. And I'm just, you know, what you're saying just negates all of that. To not feel comfortable around people, to not be able to share your emotions share who you are, share your fears, share your hopes, your dreams, all of that. 
you're missing out mm. on all of that and you're opening up so much more for anyone that's that's being part of your program and following you you're you're giving them a whole new lease on life mm. i love and, and that's a yes great- we are <laughs> At least that's a good point. Guys, we could talk about there's so yeah. many things. I've honestly been taking about 400 different notes here on things. And you already um, had 400 before we started. We didn't even touch yeah. that. There's yeah. so many different ways we could approach this. But in the essence of time, I, there was a, a quote you had on your one of your blogs. I think it was demystifying what the unshakable man is and the negativity around. So I'm assuming, have you had some negative press on what you do? Is, is Did I hear you allude at that a little bit earlier on, Chris? Uh, that, that I don't like the, um, uh, I don't like, like the name un- unshakable in general is it the one like i i have a, a, a there's a perception this is both what i love about the name unshakable man and what i what i dislike about it which is why what i think it, it stuck for me was um was that like to be an unshakable man is to it on the external is to say to be steadfast to be strong to be unwavering and yet like the vulnerability, like learning discovery connection is a vulnerable act, right? Like it's a courageous act. You have to open yourself up to be, to connect to the learning process. I can go to college and not learn anything, right? Or I can go to college and open myself up to learn something throughout that process. And so the act of opening up, right? It's, it's the, like, I, I call it the unshakable paradox, right? Is that then allows you to come back around and then, then become unshakable, right? But it's a continuous process of opening and connecting and then regenerating. And so uh, I think when we heard, when I heard empowerment earlier, like I would not put us in the, in the realm of, I, I would, I personally wouldn't have never said that we are in the realm of, of, of male or men's empowerment. Uh, I, I would say that we are in like uh, the space of like men's emotional awareness and, and connection right? Like connecting to yourself, right? Connecting to, uh, to your partner, right? Connecting to your best friend. Uh, and it all starts with learning to connect with yourself. And at this moment I'm speaking, I, I'm like, I really deeply want to hear what Mike has to say about that just cause, um, yeah. Uh, well, we're going to have to have a part two to this. So, your, so. In, in terms of your name, Lisa and I were talking about this last night. I took it in a different context. I saw that you were breaking, at least I thought, that you were actually breaking up your term with hyphens. And I saw the term shake up, like shaking up who you are, deconstructing mm. you, and then oh. rebuilding you to become an able hyphen man. That's how I interpreted it. Oh, oh I cool. love that. I love that. <laughs> so you may or may not have done, but there's some free marketing <laughs> advice. <for you. laughs> I like that. Well, but really what I hear, and thank you again for coming on, and I don't mean to cut you all off, but we've got, um, we're at already 90 minutes into this session. Oh my what, God. what I've really taken away from the readings and the dialogue today and hearing Lisa's perspective on it is unique because she is a really, you don't like the word empowered, but she's a really strong woman. And for 30 years of her life, she was not a strong woman. She was told to have a place. And what has been brilliant for me to be part of Lisa's life for the last three years is to watch her, her butterfly wings, if you will, this chrysalis opening up. And what I hear from the two of you, and I don't think it's necessarily gender specific, is that you've, you're balancing modalities in people, men, and learning us to be more in touch with 
both our masculine and our feminine side, which in, in a crux are who we really are. And somewhere along the lines, we lost that. So I love, there was one quote and I'll leave you with this. And I don't think we're going to get to the hot seat was you said, choosing to expose your heart in the face of danger is the path to wholeness and power. And when I, when I read that, that was really kind of the embodiment of what you're doing and, and the balancing of the modalities of the feminine and the masculine nature is how I see that empowerment kind of manifesting itself to your work. It's brilliant stuff, guys. I love it. And um, having Lisa and I chose to go down this path of the podcast together um, because we both could talk forever, me more than her, but because she has such a unique perspective from a gender role and from the fact that she and I are in a relationship and we're also business partners and all the other different areas that we do, I love the fact that your conversations and the therapy that you're doing, which it is therapy, embodies, saying that. embodies both of those things, the empowerment of both the male and female species and the tenderness and the, all the problems that we have learned up to this point. It's just, it's all brilliant work. And I, I applaud you and it's fantastic. So thank you for sharing it. Mm-hmm. Thank so you for can having we us. Do a shout out? Can you shout out where people are? How are people finding you? Where are they finding you? What do you have to offer them? Yeah, so you can find us at unshakableman.me. Sign up for our newsletter. We have a podcast with over 40 episodes. They're live and published on iTunes and Spotify. If you find that this work resonates with you, we just please share it. Share it with your community. Um, and we are called The Unshakable Man, but we have female audience members as well. Um, you can find us at unshakable at unshakable at the unshakable man. On Instagram, I'm at mike.sagoon. Chris is at Chris Lee Wilson on Instagram. Shoot us a follow. Um, and we have open men's groups every Thursday uh, where 15 to 30 guys show up every week from all over the world. And we drop in for an hour. And this could be a really great starting place for any uh, people out there who identify as male. So we are very inclusive of our LGBTQ uh, mm-hmm. plus community. And um, if any person that identifies as male sees that this work can be valuable for them, they can, t- they can dip their toe in in the men's group with us every Thursdays, 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Um, and you can find all of that on our website and on our Instagram. And when we, when we produce this, we'll have all that information flashing up on the screen for it as well. So people when Great. they see this Love one. Devo, come hang out with us. Come, come, uh, come try one out. It'd be awesome yeah. to have you. Yeah, I think I might check out one of your open sessions just to get my feet wet. I've got a lot of yeah. work to do myself. Cool. We got you. Thank we you all so do, much, man. Lisa. This was just wonderful. This was really awesome. Thank you. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. Just scratch the surface. Oh my God. That's the so understatement much. of the year, Lisa, isn't it? <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you for your time. Lisa, anything, any last words? No, I'm just disappointed we didn't get to do the hot seat with them. So we might have to have them back. We're going to have to go down to Mexico and just have that private discussion, I think. I yeah, think so. I think private discussions in Mexico are important. I yes. Like <laughs> All right, gentlemen, thank you again for your time. <laughs> I you. appreciate you both. Bye. Love you guys.